0: scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians 13. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him to serve you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? As I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I am absent that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
1: This morning, as we prepare to wrap up our Church Alive series, know that as we kind of conclude the message today, there's going to be an opportunity for you to share Uh, just any evidences of God's grace you've seen in your own life recently, a way that you uh, have witnessed God's presence in your life, his empowerment in some way, to be able to encourage the rest of us, as Paul does through his letter. So even now, as I enter into the message, uh, be thinking and praying about if there's a word of encouragement that God is calling you to share with the rest of the body today, and we'll take some time at the end of the message to do that. Let me pray. God, we pray once again that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh on us, anoint my words, may they be from you, and Lord, may I be a clear channel through which you speak and move, and may you open hearts, minds, ears to be able to hear what you have to say, to take it in, and ultimately to be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever received a spiritually significant letter? Uh, I remember receiving letters and cards from the two great matriarchs in my family on my mother's side. Uh, my great-grandmother, uh, Thelma, was a letter and a card writer, and she always shared words of encouragement on birthday cards or other notes of celebration, and they always ended at the bottom with little stick figures of her <laughs> and my great-grandfather uh, with little hats on, and just, she just emanated joy. And whenever I see, received one of her cards or letters, I just felt this joyful connection Connection. Picking up on that tradition, my grandmother, affectionately known as Mama, uh, carried on that tradition. And she would write letters and cards at different times, birthdays and, and other types of celebrations, graduations. And it was always filled with words of encouragement and always pointed me to the love of God that he had for me, as well as her love for me. I remember a letter I received from a pastor named Ken acknowledging and speaking to the gifts he felt that God had given me to serve in ministry. I remember love letters Beth wrote to me early on in our relationship where she expressed that she felt about me the way I felt about her. And I remember that my heart would just be moved by these letters of love and care. I remember letters of acceptance from Chico State University and Fuller Theological Seminary. And I remember receiving a letter saying I had passed my Presbyterian ordination exams. The last exam I ever really had to take, I think, of that type. I have been the beneficiary of many spiritually significant letters over the years. Well, in a somewhat similar way, Paul has written now a second of two letters to the church of Corinth. Letters that he believed have spiritual significance. And he speaks at the end of this second letter of a third visit he has planned. So Paul has already visited them twice. He's written one letter, and now in this second letter, he's speaking of a third visit. And Paul believes this letter, and it has, has has spiritual significance for the church at Corinth. And we have been beneficiaries of this letter, too, as we have walked through it ever since uh, coming off of Easter time. We've looked at the words of encouragement, also words of challenge. His letter to the, the church at Corinth reflects what he says in 2 Timothy three sixteen, where all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. There's been solid teaching here, we have found. There's also been rebuke and correction for the church. There's also been words and expressions that train us up in a right relationship with God. Well, Paul now writes the second letter in anticipation of his third visit because he wants to kind of prime the pump or sort of till the ground in preparation for his coming. And he's hoping that some things will be addressed through his letter so that once he comes, he can just be building them up and encouraging them through his words. The good thing here is even though Paul had had a written a difficult letter in 1 Corinthians, and even though he had had a difficult second visit to them, Paul has not given up on the church at Corinth. He still believes in the people of God gathered there, and he still believes and cares for these people and wants to prepare them and build them up in preparation for this next visit. So what we can learn from uh, 2 Corinthians 13 is this. A church alive, first and foremost, builds one another up through relationships. What we see is Paul's nurturing his relationship through this letter. But also he's nurturing and preparing the way for what he believes to be a spiritually significant visit. We're going to talk about that. He also talks about relationships being built or established and establishing matters based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And he speaks to an accountability in Christ through speaking the word. That first of those three principles, spiritually significant visits. Paul is writing this letter in preparation for his next visit. And he believes that that's going to be a significant point of connection. He wants to go and visit the church there in order to build them up in Christ. To nurture them in their faith. And and so they could experience a unity and growth in their love and, and relationship with Jesus. But he believes that the church at Corinth has some housekeeping to do ahead of time. Beth and I had uh, some people over for dinner last night and to play Ticket to Ride. It's one of my favorite games. But we weren't just going to have those people over in the current state of our house. Because uh, there's Star Wars toys everywhere in my house. There's books strewn about. And our house was a total disaster prior to cleaning it up and getting it ready for the people who are coming to visit. Similarly, Paul's kind of saying to the church at Corinth, clean up your house. Get ready for my visit. There are indications that part of that cleaning up of their house and preparation for Paul's visit had to do with sexual sin that the church at Corinth was still stuck in. That though he had spoken about it in his first letter that it needed to be addressed and they, they needed to rid themselves of it, Sadly, it doesn't sound like they had fully. So Paul is saying you need to clean up. You need to clean up your house, spiritually, personally, but also as a corporate unity, as a church. Paul doesn't want to just tear them down and have to address their sexual sin or other types of sin. He wants to build them up. He wants to build on the foundation that they had in Jesus. But he's but he's wrestling with or questioning the integrity of that foundation in this letter. We always have to do that work of examination as we're going to talk about. To examine ourselves and to allow God's purifying work to be done within us. We need to prepare ourselves for God's continued visit of us. To be cleansed, to be set free, to be forgiven so that we can freely give what God wants to give If somebody's coming to visit your house, you don't just open the door. You prepare. You clean up. You might prepare food and other things. And so similarly, Paul's saying, get ready for my visit. And just like I talked about spiritually significant letters, there are spiritually significant visits. Maybe it's somebody you visited when they don't have much time left on earth. Their heavenly home going is coming quickly. I visited some people near the end of their life where they don't yet have a, a defined faith commitment. They're not sure where they're going at the end of their life. And getting to spend time with them and talk to them about Jesus as a way of salvation is those are sacred, dear moments. You may visit somebody who's ill and needs that encouragement. Or maybe it's somebody you've been estranged from and you haven't talked to for some time. And that visit is of spiritual significance where you're experiencing reconciliation and healing in relationship. And that visit is needed because that person in in the current state of the relationship has kind of been gnawing at you. You know there's some uh, unfinished business there. Maybe it's a family member you haven't talked to for some time. And we need to reach out and reflect God's love and care and relationship with those people by going and visiting them. We build one another up through relationships. Paul also says we build one another up through the, the, uh, establishing, the matter, establishing matters based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. What is he talking about there? Well, in a Jewish court of law, something could only be validated if there were two or three witnesses that spoke to it. If it was just one person that said something was the case, it would not be seen as concrete or solidified in a certain way. You need other witnesses. Sometimes this happens like in a car accident. Uh, Some of you know that um, my brother, Daryl, was driving some kids home uh, after one of our nights of Adventure Week last week. And he was up on the the, the, uh, 49 and got rear-ended. And at first, the the lady who hit him kind of said maybe it was his fault. And she didn't see him because of the the blinding sun. But there were actually some people riding their bikes by. And when the police showed up, they said, no, you know, he broke. He had signaled. You know, this lady just didn't see him and and rear-ended him. Thankfully, everybody was okay. But the point of that illustration is that it took the testimony of two or three witnesses to validate what had happened in that accident. And so Paul is saying the validity of two or three witnesses speaks to the truth of a matter and can nurture and encourage a relationship because relationships are built on the nature of truth. So what are the two or three witnesses he's talking about here? I think Paul and commentators believe that Paul is speaking of his two letters and now his his three visits coming up. So the matter of two or three witnesses was the fact that Paul had written them and he had visited them and was about to visit them for the third time. Why had Paul done that? Because he believed in the relationship that he had with that church in that place and he wanted to continue to nurture that relationship. If Paul didn't care about those people or that church, he wouldn't have continued to write them or care about them. And Paul's wanting to say, even though I've got some tough love to share, I've got some challenging words uh, to share, both in writing and verbally, I'm doing that because I love you and I care about you. And so Paul's witnessing to that reality, both in his writing and his intention of visiting again. But the relationship's also built on the accountability we have in Christ through speaking His Word. In Christian community, our relationships are built on the truth of God's Word. It's only as we're following after God and seeking to allow God's Word to guide us and direct us that we can find unity in the midst of other things that might divide us. It's not that Paul's wanting to come down on them with heavy-handed authority. He's rather wanting to build them up in the truth of God's word and witness and love. He's intending not to come and just sort of express authority for the sake of expressing it. He doesn't want to destroy them. He wants to build them up. But he believes that discipline in line with God's word is part of that relationship and part of what's going to build them up. It's not that he wants to sort of take the the big Bible and thump them on the head with it. It's rather that he's wanting to put the Bible underneath their feet so that they can stand on it. Okay, So his discipline of them as a church is meant to build them up. And I've reminded you again at different times, different ways, that discipline has the same root word as discipleship, doesn't it? So when we're disciplining somebody, and when Paul's doing that here, it's for discipling them and building them up in Jesus. It's not for tearing them down. But sometimes there's hard teaching or challenging words that have to be expressed in order to do that. Because not only is Paul addressing them individually, he's addressing them corporately. And if there's sin in in the church, in the community, that's going to have a destructive effect on the church wider. And so it's not about tearing one person down. It's about building the corporate church up. A church alive builds one another up through relationships. Knitting together, encouraging one another, supporting one another. I love hearing stories about how our uh, summer tables groups are getting together and uh, connecting with one another. It's really fun to hear people say, hey, I got to know this person that I didn't know yet, or, or we had a joyful time sharing a meal uh, the other night, or our gals got together on Friday night and, and painted together, and, and uh, I was leaving as they were coming, they're looking at me like, uh, you need to get out of here, dude. We got a bunch <laughs> of ladies showing up. We're doing our thing. Uh, and, and, and I just watched joyfully as they gathered and as they joined time together. And when Beth came home, I just said, oh, how was it? She said, you know, it was really fun. We had a really fun time together. That type of community, those types of relationships knit us together in Jesus. They encourage, we encourage one another through those connections. But secondly, a church alive builds one another up through Christ's power. Paul tells us, Christ was crucified in weakness, yet lives by God's power. That we live by Christ's power experienced in weakness, and that we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live in him to serve you. In other words, what Paul's saying is it's not just about ourselves or about you, but it's for those we serve. Let's unpack those three things here for a minute. The relationship between Christ and Paul with regard to weakness and power is now clarified. Jesus was crucified in weakness. And this weakness was not physical frailty or moral weakness. He was perfect. But it was the weakness of non-retaliation and the weakness of obedience to God. Jesus was perfectly obedient to God. He was willing to suffer and die for our sake. His obedience to death on the cross, however, becomes then the source of empowerment and strength for Paul and for us. That weakness of Christ, the joy we have as followers of Jesus is that weakness of Christ expressed there in his dying is ultimately now been overcome in his rising. He now lives in resurrection life as a result of God's power and the spirit of holiness that he had in the way he lived. So for Paul, he's saying there's evidence of Christ's power in his life shown through his weakness. Paul was willing to be weak with and for them, just as Christ was willing to be weak with and for us. And that's where we find our power. There's a Jeremy Camp song. I think Jeremy Camp's coming to play over in Sparks, Nevada next month. And if I'm free, I'd love to go hear him because I've enjoyed Jeremy Camp's contemporary music. But Camp says, has one of his more popular songs, says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me. The power of Christ, the power of God that rose Jesus from the dead is alive and at work in you. It has transforming power and influence. And Paul is saying that it was only by the power of the resurrected Jesus that he had been able to continue to live and serve and suffer for them. And Paul's basically saying to them that that same power that has enabled him to, to stay present for the church at Corinth and to, to serve and to even suffer for them is a power that is available to them. It's not only power that Paul was demonstrating himself. It was a power made perfect in his weakness that was alive and well for the people of God. You see, our faith is dependent on that power. We need to be in touch with our own weaknesses and vulnerability in order to experience God's power. It's not in our own human strength. It's in our weaknesses often that God shows up in power. And is present with us. About 9.45 last night I was wrapping up my message. And a, another pastor called me. And he just said, hey, I need you to pray. And I said, what, what's up? And he talked about some difficulties he had experienced over the past week. And, and how he, 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 he was, it was going to be difficult to get up and preach today. And I just acknowledge that in each and every week, a pastor and we as people, for a pastor, there are circumstances and situations that can cause you to feel very weak and, and vulnerable or tired or weary. And yet it's in those times that we sort of plug in to the power of God that we can be transformed in the midst of our weakness. And we can have new hope and new vitality based on God's power, not our own. And for you, showing up today is a sign of recognition that you need God, that you can't do life without God. If you you weren't showing up in worship, you're essentially saying, I got this, God. I'm good. I can do this on my own strength or ability. But showing up in worship is one sign or expression of saying, Lord God, I need you at the core of who I am. And without you, I'm weak and vulnerable. But connected with other Christ followers, I can find your strength, and I can continue to live and serve even when things are hard or difficult. Paul is saying that we build one another up through Christ's power. And we plug into his power and we experience his presence in his power when we gather for worship. You see, it's Christ's character in Paul and ultimately in us that enables us to live and serve. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you or your name. It's the fruit and power of the Holy Spirit present and alive in you that enables you to love, that enables you to experience joy, enables you to experience peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness, self goodness, self-control, all those qualities. Those are qualities that you have because Christ has given them to you through the Holy Spirit and empowered you to express them. It's through Christ that we're enabled to speak God's word. It's through Christ that we have his mind among us. For Christ lives in us and is alive and at work in us because of his resurrection. Paul was able to endure suffering and he was able to bring healing to people because the spirit was at work in him. And above all, when he preached to them and and ultimately drew them to Christ, it was because Christ's power was available to him. Last week, we talked about how Paul had a weakness and a a thorn in the flesh, when we talked about it, it was likely poor eyesight. He might have had migraines. You know, there's different ideas on what that was. But in another place, Paul basically says, you know, he wasn't eloquent of speech. He didn't feel like he was this gifted public speaker. But that he had found again and again when he spoke that God spoke through him. And even when he was rebuked and rebuffed by the church, people in Corinth, he was able to show strength in the empowerment of God to be able to continue to serve. You see, Christ was indeed weak in his death as Paul is in his life. And it's a fact that he has acknowledged. But God's power was made available through Christ and was continuing to, continuing to empower Paul to go on serving and to go on loving. Paul found himself in Christ. And in that connection with Christ, he could continue to go on exhorting, encouraging, and disciplining those who had fallen into sin in order to restore them and build them up. As a result of being in Christ, Paul shared the weakness of his crucified master. And I want to say this. It is often in our times of weakness that we're built up and encouraged because it's then we experience God's power encouraging us and leading us forward. We could often misunderstand the nature of the Christian faith. We might think that, again, it's in Places where we feel strong or, uh, you know, we, we've, we've been living a righteous life where, where we're somehow then resting in that. But it's in reality, the reality it is in our weakness that we often find our conformity to Christ. In our suffering, in times of difficulty that we're molded and shaped and we ultimately become more and more like him. Christ was crucified in weakness. But because he was willing to be crucified in weakness, we now have the God, God's power available to us because of his resurrection. When we are weak in him, we find ourselves empowered to live and to serve through him. This doesn't happen by accident or just a, a passive posture. It actually comes through action. And the third point of the message is this. A church alive builds one another up by taking action. In other words, yes, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of ourselves, that Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. But there's an active response in receiving that gift and then being built up by that gift. There's actually nine imperative verbs here. and We're going to walk through them uh, briefly. He first says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Spiritual examination is not easy. But it's when you, in your weakness, but openness to God, say along with Psalm one thirty nine twenty three, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's essentially saying, God, I'm an open book to you. Come and search my heart, and remove anything that is not of you. For me, along these lines, uh, the spiritual practices of St. Ignatius and his prayer of examine is really helpful. Ignatian uh, walks us through a process of thanksgiving and gratitude to God. We always have things to be thankful for, but then leading us in a reflective confessional time. In other words, at night, we think back through our day. We think through those things that we might have said or done or left undone that weren't pleasing to God. It may be realizing that you said something hurtful or critical to one of your kids or to your spouse, your neighbor, your coworker, Or there was an opportunity to serve and to witness to Jesus, but for whatever reason, you chose not to respond and step into it. We need to examine ourselves again and again if then we're going to be able to be built up in Christ. Because it's kind of like clearing the way so that then he can build upon that foundation. Spiritual examination is what we do every Sunday in a time of prayerful confession. But it's meant to be a springboard or an ongoing process in your own life where you allow God to search you, you allow God to know you, and you allow God to cleanse your heart and mind so that you can be built up in Him. Paul says, secondly, pray to God that we will not do anything wrong. And it's literally a prayer for protection. We need to pray that God enables us to live rightly and fully in light of His will. We don't just trust that we have it in us to live a righteous life. We get down on our knees and we pray that God would strengthen us to build us up, to enable us to take right action and to serve in light of his will and empowerment. To pray regularly, examining yourself, but then praying that God would empower you and protect you. Third, Paul talks about being glad in our weakness in order to find strength. And again, this is so countercultural, as I've talked about in the last few weeks. In our uh, culture in the United States, weakness is just seen as weakness, whereas Christians see that as the pathway to experiencing God's strength and empowerment. We acknowledge or are even, even glad in our weakness in order to experience God's strength. Because it's in our weakness that we know that we know that we know that God is the one doing the work within us. And that it's not about us. Paul says, use authority to build one another up and not tear down. Whatever authority we've been given in life is meant to build other people up, to encourage them, to lift them up, to inspire them, to give them hope and give them a model of what following Jesus might look like. Sometimes that means dealing with corporate realities. In other words, there may be sin that has to be addressed because it's having a negative effect on others and in a community. And in order to build up the wider community, that sin has to be addressed, which Paul is talking about here. But ultimately, the purpose is for building up and experiencing restoration and renewal of relationships, not for tearing down. Paul goes on to say that we are to aim for perfection And that one might feel kind of overwhelming, like, what do you mean I'm I'm called to be perfect? No, you're being perfected by Jesus. And your aim at perfection is just a desire to be obedient in your life. A better translation for the word perfection is actually mend your ways. So he's not saying, you know, you're perfect and stay perfect. He's basically saying we're all going to be off track in one way or another all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, we're told in Romans three twenty three. But we can mend our ways. We can we can sharpen our focus. We can live in light of God's will if we allow ourselves to be mended and shaped and molded more fully into His image. Paul goes on to say we are to listen to other people's appeals because that action is often the way that we learn and we grow when we listen to the input of others. He also talks about uh, being of one mind, being unified in our thinking, and that ultimately we take action by seeking to be united in our thought and in in our direction. One of the ways our session, our board, uh, operates is that every time we gather, like we did this last Tuesday, we gather a half hour before our regular meeting for prayer. And the focus of that prayer time is that we would be of one mind, that we would be unified, and that we would ultimately have the mind of Christ. Paul goes on to say to live in peace. We're to live in the peace of Christ that ultimately leads to to peaceful relationships and unity. But that means actions taken to nurture and encourage peace. And the last one, and the one that probably might be most foreign to us, is greet each other with a holy kiss. Paul's basically saying be affectionate with one another. Have that expression of love, that outward affection that lets people know that you love them and you care about them. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to apply that one directly today, uh, unless maybe you're with your spouse or you know, somebody who's understanding on that one, uh, but we can say that just as greeting one another with a holy kiss in the Middle East was an appropriate expression of affection, That we are meant to express appropriate expressions of affection and care for one another. Because that lifts one another up and encourages one another. In this building up process, we can look at places like Ephesians 4, uh, uh, 12 and 13, where it says, We are to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up and we all might reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the fullness of Christ. You see, we have been equipped and built up ourselves in Jesus through teaching, through community, through taking action so that we can build up others around us. We're blessed to be a blessing to other people. And that's where Paul concludes his letter, with blessing. A church alive builds one another up by blessing. And Paul's got one of the most direct blessings in all of his letters here. Where he says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And he calls upon the whole Trinity saying, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Paul wants the church in every age. The church at Corinth and our church today to be blessed by being connected in unity and in relationship with the Holy Trinity. When we find that connection, we realize we are a part of God's family, created by God, saved by God through the action of Jesus dying for us, and ignited in fellowship, in relationship with God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. An application of this message, I want, you to, encourage, uh, I want to encourage you in, in one of three ways. First, I want to encourage you to consider uh, writing somebody a spiritually significant letter. Let them know that you love them, you care about them, that God is with them and that you're thinking about them and want to build them up or make a spiritually significant visit. Who's that person you need to reconnect with right now that needs encouragement, that needs hope in Jesus? Who's, you know that If you were to visit them, your presence with them would be a sign and seal that God is with them and hasn't given up on them. Maybe there's somebody you're called to make a spiritually significant visit with. Or it's taking action in one of the other ways. Examining yourself to see if there's anything impure or ill motives within you that God wants to clear away. Praying for protection. uh, Asking for the unity of mind and spirit to be in you. Or, Or just entrusting that the God of love wants to bless you and wants to be a blessing to others through you. An application of that today, I did want to take a few moments uh, to just have some time that if you have a word of encouragement that you want to share with our greater church, a way that you've seen evidence of God's grace recently in your life that would build up and be a blessing to others if you were to share, I would love to just bring the microphone to you to have you share that briefly uh, if you want to do that, just let us know who, your name, who you are, your name, and uh, what is that way? What is that evidence of God's grace that you've seen in your life recently? And we'll just take a few moments to do this to encourage one another. Is there anybody that's got kind of a word of encouragement, brief story to share uh, with us to encourage the rest of us today?
2: I never miss an opportunity. (laughs) I'm Melissa. I'm the global missions elder now, but kind of also doing a little bit of outreach. I just, you know, in this day and age, we don't, many people don't think there's miracles. And I guarantee you that every one of us in this room has experienced a God miracle because I don't believe in coincidences. I I think that if you're a believer that this is God, it did happen, and I just want to make it short. I was on a, because the, the reason I'm sharing this is that, that because of the family church uh, camp out. I was at a family church camp out with Daniel and Luke, not at this church, some years ago. And Luke was 18 months old and Daniel was four and a half. And we were riding bikes. Luke was on the back of mine in one of those infant carriers and Daniel. And we were at a campground and we were going down a big hill. And, I, and Daniel was too little to go down the big hill. I said, Let, just walk beside your bike. And he did, and I walked beside mine. Only he didn't let loose of his bike when the bike started going fast. And it wrecked. And the handlebar knocked, hit him in the mouth and knocked out and broke his teeth. Mm. And, and I'm running down the hill with my bike with an 18-month-old in the back trying to figure out how to lay it down with him in it and to get to Daniel. And I, get, I do get Luke out. Grab Daniel, take his shirt off, stuff it in his mouth mm. to stop the bleeding, and mm. kind of looking for the teeth. You know, the tooth fairy still got to come. <laughs> and um, and so, but I sit down by the path and I prayed. It's like, Lord, I I need help. I got two bicycles and two children and a kid that's bleeding and crying. Mm. I need your help. And on the path, there's a group walking towards me, and I'm sitting there, and I said, and I'm just about hysterical, and I just said, Lord, and I said to them, "I need help. I need to help my son's knocked his teeth out. They're broken. They're loose. They're gone." And a guy comes up and lays his hand on my shoulder, and he said, "Take a deep breath. I'm a dentist."
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's
2: like, mm-hmm. okay, that's a God moment that I'll mm-hmm. never forget. Daniel will never forget mm-hmm. because it's a miracle. You know, it's not a coincidence. So we all have those. Just think about
1: them. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's great there are others that would like to share with us yeah, yeah Mark
4: (laughs) I'm Mark and uh, I've seen God work in uh, amazing ways uh, in my weakness when I've gone on mission trips Mm. and one real short one is uh, I went to Gucigapa Honduras and when I got there I put all my dental equipment, I was a dentist, in in the back Mm -hmm. of this Toyota van. We drove through town to go to the clinic I was going to work on. And we got there, all this equipment was gone. Mm -hmm. Everything was gone. I said, well, God, why am I here? You just, everything's gone. So I had my oldest daughter there and my wife there, and we just, we prayed. Two hours later, the word got out around there, I got all my equipment back. And God, in his infinite grace, supplied all I needed to do my work there in Honduras and it's just I could tell you other stories too but that was a good one
1: awesome thank you <laughs> others that want to share maybe one more one or two more there's people that would like to share with us all right yeah Carolyn I know you've had some God stories <laughs> yeah
3: I just want to reaffirm my complete faith as Jesus, as my Lord and personal Lord and Savior and teacher. And um, this week I had four hours of dental surgery. We drove back from Idaho about 1,100 miles to have this done. And I um, put my complete trust in Jesus. He held me through it. I had no pain. Um, I was told I was a good patient, and it's healing beautifully. And it's just another evidence to me of God's um, grace and mercy and his love for me, and that whatever happens, uh, I know he's right there for me all the time. So, And I appreciate the fellowship of, of this group, um, being able to see you on Sunday. It's given me great encouragement.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Carolyn. Awesome. I'll uh, conclude with one and have Melissa come up and pray. You can come on up, Melissa. Um, I referred to this uh, this accident about a week and a half ago. And, and my my brother was up on the 49. I was going to make a left turn uh, there up by Five Mile House or one of those places. And um, it sounds like he had just started to hit his gas and, and make this left turn when he was hit, likely at like 55 miles an hour behind him. and And I... I don't know, but, you know, my thought is if he hadn't already started and it had just been full on the brakes, it, it could have been really bad. And he had three of our uh, lovely kids in, in the car with him in our church family who he was driving home that day. And I, I just want to give thanks and praise for God protecting him and them and uh, watching over them and what could have been a really bad accident. So God was good in watching over and protecting them, and that was certainly an evidence of grace in my life and in our church community. Amen.
2: Shame is a prison, as cruel as a grave. Shame is a robber,
1: and he's come to take my name. Love is my redeemer, lifting me up from the ground. Love is the power where my freedom's found.